0: Good morning. It was wonderful, Jean, to hear you say I am frozen. It brought me back to high school graduation in 1965 in Westport, Connecticut, um, when we were addressed by William Sloan Coffin, Reverend William Sloan Coffin, came to Staples High School to address our class. And um, I grew up, as, you, as many of you know, I grew up in the same town as John Evans, oh, very close, closely connected, our families, at least John and my family, um, very closely connected. So that high school graduation was a momentous event. And I remember William Sloan Coffin saying to us, you are at the launching point of your life, something like this, he said, and I wish you the, the gift of discomfort I wish you the gift of discomfort. And this is the chaplain at Yale University, an activist of the highest order, extraordinary teacher. He also said, I want to see as a Christian, I want to see frozen Christians wake up, awake frozen Christians, hence the connection with this morning. And I I remember that high school graduation so vividly. In many ways, it may have been the introduction or the precursor of Zen practice for me. I wish you the gift of being uncomfortable in these times. I wish you the taste of failure and the opportunity to try again and again, to unfreeze, to come into warm connection out of frozen, um, cold and well-worked out religion. Something like that, and you know, uh, recently, not so recently, but maybe a, a decade ago, um, Reverend Coffin is, is no longer alive. He's with the great majority. Um, I had the deep uh, honor and pleasure of meeting him in the Unitarian Church in Berkeley and uh, going up to, um, to him on the stage and thanking him for that graduation speech and for its importance in my life. So what is Zen? What is Zen? Thich Nhat Hanh always loved to say Zen practice is made up of non-Zen elements. And I'm deeply grateful for the circle. It's not a straight line lineage, but the circular lineage that brought me to Zen practice. And I wanna talk a little bit about that this morning and just introduce myself fresh to you beloved Sangha. We know each other so well on one level. But really, um, in many ways, Jean and I know each other best because we've known each other since we were little girls. She's been in my life since we were little girls. That's good, strong, 60 years of active connection. Even when we didn't see each other, we're made of each other because of causes and conditions and circumstances. So it's meaningful to me this morning to reflect on what is Zen. I grew up, as I said, in Westport, Connecticut, the daughter of an activist father. My father was um, a very political person. Uh, He and my mother divorced when I was 13. He lived in New York every week, and not every weekend, but every other weekend. It was my responsibility to travel with my sisters particularly my sister Sally, who was John's best buddy. Uh, we traveled to New York to visit our father and we had quite quite an upbringing um, unconditional activism he he prayed that that would be um, our real inheritance from him He certainly infected me his eldest child, with that um, way seeking mind in um, <clears throat> and I you know I I remember I, as a, I don't know how old I was. Let's see. I was in high school, 1960, 1963, traveling to, you see, I wanna make sure I've got the dates right. Yes, August 28th, 1963, traveling by bus to Washington DC by myself to hear Dr. King's uh, I Have a Dream speech. Um, And later in my life, Joining becoming a Vista volunteer, leaving college, I had one year of college, I knew this is not for me, and leaving and serving in West Virginia in the coal fields of West Virginia, as a Vista volunteer, early on in the um, in that uh, strong impetus of service in this country, uh, working for a good solid year, still connected with people in West Virginia, rejoining returning to college and feeling I can't settle my father left his job as a publisher to do full-time draft counseling because of the war in Vietnam. I remember as a young woman, Lotus in a Sea of Fire by Thich Nhat Hanh on our dining room table, my father reading that book. I saw the book, I remember the cover and I saw the effect of the war in Vietnam on our family. My father um, left his job to do full-time draft counseling and I felt I can't live in this country any longer. Of all things, I was back in college then. Of all things, I traveled to Israel, to Israel, thinking I could maybe find um, immersion in farming, in organic farming, in kibbutz life. Maybe that would be an authentic path because I did not any longer want to live in this country. How innocent and crazy an idea that was. But I, I look back with such tenderness and the last thing I wanted to do was to sit still and, and follow my breath and go inward. My entire life force was directed outward. Not only activism, also art. From the time I was a child, I had a writing life, an active writing life. Um, I could only hear myself when I sat down to write. Always, m- Mostly on the run. Moving fast, but but writing. And so when I think of myself as a young woman, I, I remember that. So in 19, in the late 60s, I moved through the experiment in international living. I moved to Israel. I studied Hebrew, of all things. I lived on a kibbutz. I returned to college. And at, at the close of college, I returned to Jerusalem to study um, Comparative religion. I don't even think John knows this. Anyway, I returned to Jerusalem. And believe it or not, I knew enough Hebrew to be accepted into the comparative religion department. I understood about 20, maybe 30, maybe 35% of the lectures, but the reading was in English. So I could, I could ace it. And I remember my advisor calling me in at some point, closing the door, big, huge, brilliant thinker and he said to me this won't be the kind of study of comparative religion that you need it's too narrow he said you need a wider field in english but then he returned to speaking in hebrew and said but still go ahead you're in it so during that year i lived in the jewish marketplace in the heart of of jerusalem kind of poor neighborhood Uh, in a Syrian neighborhood with a a wonderful woman who was also at the Hebrew University and very lively. uh, We're still connected to Karen Rothschild. So we lived in this small house and I thought I need to do some yoga practice to help balance my study. So I found a woman who only taught women and she interviewed me, Hannah Seidner. She interviewed me and I thought, yes, yoga practice is going to be good. Very good for me. She interviewed me fully, thoroughly, deeply. And at the end, she said, so I'll see you tomorrow morning. Come and practice. And I did yoga practice with her for a few days. And after two or three solid days of practice, she called me into her in, inside her home and said, I can continue teaching you yoga but I can see it isn't your practice. She said, I'm a German Jew. I escaped with my life from Germany. Looked, have looked for years for a way to reconcile my experience. He said, I can see that yoga and this path is not your path. And I invite you to join me and meet my Zen teacher. And I thought, oh my God, are you kidding? holding Zen? Oh, no. turning away from the world, no. But I really loved her, loved her. I really was influenced by her. She was an extraordinary woman. And the next morning, so I said, all right. She said, can you be here at five o'clock in the morning? I said, sure. So I made my way to her home in Jerusalem And uh, we drove to the crest of the Mount of Olives, right at the very tip of the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Dead Sea and the Judean Desert. And she took me in, and I met Kyodo Nakagawa Roshi, then Kyodo Nakagawa, was a primary Mm -hmm. student of Son Nakagawa Roshis, Mm -hmm. small house in the Arab section of Jerusalem. How did he get there? He got there from, by the um, intrepid, innovative power of a cancer researchist, a woman named Chloe Tal. She traveled to Jerusalem, asked if there were a Roshi who spoke English, was directed to Sawan Nakagawa Roshi, said, I live in the heart of Jerusalem. I'm a cancer researchist. For my life, for the health of my practice and for the investigation of truth, I beg you to send a monk to Jerusalem, center of the, of the monotheistic religions of the world necessary now to hear from the Zen. And lo and behold, he sent, Son Nakagawa Roshi sent his primary monk, Doku Nakagawa, to Jerusalem. So Hana opened the door. We went in in our, in our lay clothing. There, were, there was a rack of kind of pale beige robes, which we donned over our clothing. And she took me into the inner sanctum of the room where Nokisan was sitting. I think there were very few people there that morning, very few. I remember the desert behind him. I remember the altar, very simple, a bowl of water, a few stalks of wheat and, and so from so on, Nakagawa. And then circle, nothing else. The room was empty. We sat down. I didn't know what the heck was happening. I just sat there. And at the end, I went back to Jerusalem, to downtown Jerusalem with Hannah. And I never stopped going back. Well, what happened to me? I marvel, you know, Doku Nakagawa and so on Nakagawa Roshi are very fierce Rinzai teachers. I wasn't given Zazen instruction for more than a month, not until I showed up every day for 30 days. And that wasn't, it wasn't, I'll teach you Zazen after you show, it wasn't like that. I just showed up and I sat there and I held still in all this sorrow and yearning and relief came up from the, in the simplicity of that very safe, deep room. I unfroze. Something in my heart unfroze. And we didn't have a zendo. This was a a small house in the Arab section of East Jerusalem. We didn't have any any of the usual Zen trappings. There were some, you know, a few Zafus, but not many. A good month or so after showing up every day, I was there one morning and there were, there were um, a few Christian nuns there. And they asked him in French, can you show us how you sit? And he said, yes. And then he said, Wendy-san, he knew my name <laughs> amazingly. So come in. And we went into the little room where he served tea and we settled down on cushions. And I remember he hitched up his robes and showed us how to, how to put his legs. And I remember the, <laughs> the Belgium nuns hitching up their habits and they had numerous layers of, of long underwear, under, very elegant long underwear. And he showed us, he moved everybody's feet around and it was decided I was studying, practicing Zen. I don't know how it really happened. I certainly wasn't looking. And I, I certainly wasn't um, intrigued by the Zen. But the quiet and the ballast to my activist, rather frenetic young life was extraordinary. I feel my my body-mind changed. And I continued to practice there. I, I rode the... Pretty dangerous, I rode the um, Arab bus from the, from East Jerusalem up to the Mount of Olives because it had nothing to do with Hana anymore. Sometimes we would be there together, sometimes we were, we were separate and yet practicing together. Um, my first Sashin was with Soa Nakagawa Roshi. He came from Japan, extraordinary teacher. We had no place to sit, large enough. There were small sanghas in Haifa and also in Tel Aviv and in, in different satellite cities throughout um, the occupied territory of the promised land, occupied Israel. And we, um, we all gathered together. We were given refuge in a, in a monastery, a Trappist monastery, and there we practiced. And the first time I heard Son Nakagawa chant and speak, I uh, felt rootedness with this teacher. Let me just show you beautiful old picture. I don't know if you can see it. So Nakagawa Roshi. Zen master poet and artist calligrapher of Japan taken at the Catholic Zen monastery at Abu Ghosh, April 1974, Sesshin. So this was sent to me later. Son Nakagawa Roshi mastered. So, his admonition, and I offer it to us this morning. This was about 50 years ago. From Keizan Zenji, translated by NyoGen Senzaki, who was a close... Friend and colleague of Sohanaka Roshi. Just, dear friends, just do Zazen innocently without any aiming. This is the best Zen practice, the best Zazen. Sit down, break through to ultimate bottom. At the last, I only say to you, followers of the way, Go on to rest, go on and stop. Go on, make yourself the autumn lake full of water. Go on, make yourself one moment of thought the length of 10,000 years. Go on, make yourself cold ashes and a decayed tree. Go on, make yourself an incense burner with no trace of incense. Go on, go on, make yourself white silk of endless length. I congratulate you all. A couple of years after starting to practice, it was time for me to come home. I knew I had to come home. Uh, I remember Doki-san and so on, Nakagawa Roshi were together. It was after another session. They were together and Doki-san held up a key and he said, this is the key to my door. It won't necessarily fit your door. And so on Roshi said, deep in the mountains, of California, there is a little tas of hara, playing with tasahara. There is a little tas, a little cup of hara, of deep intention. Please investigate. He said that directly to me. And then of all things, he recommended me. What could San Francisco Zen Center do? They had a letter of recommendation from Soa, when I showed up empty handed on their doorstep, the doorstep of Tassahara in 1972. They could only let me in with a recommendation like that. Although it was against the rule, against the grain. And so practicing at Tassahara 1973 to 1975. Uh, meeting, I met Peter at Tassahara the Chusseau, Ed Brown. The head of the sewing room, Linda Ruth Cutts. The, what was he, the treasurer, Ernie Kotler. These are lifelong friends, beyond friends. Um, we sat Tongario together. We entered the practice. And it became clearer and clearer to me that any Zen practice I would do would be as an activist with honoring art and understanding the need to hold still and really let everything go. Be a length of silk, be ashes in an empty brazier, be unfrozen by the freezing world and to continue under all circumstances. In the 1980s, I met Thich Han. I had the unenviable, um, call to practice with Thich Nhat Hanh and continue to be at Zen Center, San Francisco Zen Center. It was not a popular decision, I can tell you, but I did it. And I'm very grateful to my teachers, to Katagiri Roshi, to Son Nakagir- Nakagawa Roshi, to Thich Nhat Hanh, to Zentatsu Richard Baker, to the many other teachers named and unnamed, later, of course, the women teachers, Yvonne Rand, Joanna Macy, and others that are in my heart, not coming up right now, but very much in my heart. So it's 50 years. And, you know, Peter and I fell in love at Tassahara at the exact, there's a six month rule. No, no romantic relationships for six months. Practice intimately, working deeply. No romantic relationships six months and a day after we decided it's time to change this up a little bit. And we celebrate our 45th anniversary on Sunday. We were married at Green Gulch um, by Zen Tatsu Richard Baker. It was so long ago, Reb was the Those of you will know what that means. Insider trading talk. Reb carried the incense for our wedding. Um, we celebrated outside. My father and mother were there. Even though they hated each other, they were both there. Um, and our life unfolded so many stories. It is a Zen. This is a Zen story. It's a, it's a story of a lay person who never It was. I was not raised up in monastic training with any hierarchy. Real. And there was, of course, hierarchy, but I didn't feel it. And I certainly didn't experience it because I would have run from the Mount of Olives like the sprinter I was when I was 23 years old, which is when I started practicing. So it's time to shh get quiet, it's a long life, a long Zen life, my life. Um, fierce and also um, full of gratitude. Full of gratitude and, and uh, commitment and continuous learning. And of course I practiced deeply and closely with Norman at, and Steve Stuckey at Green Gulch. Um, these were, were more than Dharma family, we're, we're litter mates. We really are, we're litter mates. We are the working class of San Francisco Zen Center. Um, When I arrived at Tassajara, Suzuki Roshi had been dead for about eight months. So it was a tough time, but also a very rich time of learning and growing and uh, communicating. So that's a little bit of a, not exactly way seeking mind, but I I wanted particularly, excuse me, I wanted John to hear some of the backstory. Because we're so linked, she does know a good bit of it, but not all of it. And then, um, just some reminders, and then we'll we'll maybe, um, Jean. What would you? What would maybe just let me just say um, something I love from Nyogen Senzaki. It's kind of meeting Soen Roshi and talking. Soen's echo at the end of every chant. Buddha nature pervades the whole universe existing right here now with our chanting samadhi. This is the chant book we used, 50 years old. Um, with our chanting samadhi, let us unite with endless dimensions, universal life. Buddha, Shakyamuni, Bodhidharma, Rinzai's Zenji, Dogen, Zenji, Hakun, Zenji, Soyen, Genpo, Sogaku, Nyogen, Senzaki's Zenji. Past, present, future, all Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, all patriarchs, matriarchs die, Osho. Let true Dharma continue and Sangha relations become complete. May it be so. A little taste of old Zen from the edge, (laughs) from the live edge. From the very live edge. (laughs) From the dangerous live edge. (laughs) from the cliff thank you thank you you. you. what a beautiful talk